Well, welcome back, everybody, to Art Moves, the podcast. And if you can believe it, this is episode number six. Six. And we are your hosts again, Major Dwight Smith. Hey, Dwight. What's happening? How you doing, Doctor? And I'm Dr. Regina Newhan, and we're so excited to be here with you today because we have the fabulous fiber and textile artist, Deborah Smith. Hey, Deborah, how are you? Good. Excited to be here. Oh, good, good, good. Um, you know, Deborah is an abstract textile artist born and raised in Missouri, and she studied at the Italian Academy of Fashion Design, Lorenzo de' Medici, in Florence, Italy, and then received her Bachelor of Fine Arts from the Kansas City Art Institute. And among other honors, several years ago, she was named one of the Women to Watch for Fiber and Textile Art from the National Museum of Women in the Arts. That is so cool. And, you know, really, she's a celebrated fine artist who has shown her work in exhibitions throughout the globe. Welcome, and we're happy to have you here. And I, I wonder if you could just start telling us a little bit of your background. How did you become interested in textile art? Well, uh, I'm a third generation textile artist. My wow. mother and my grandmother were both weavers. Um, my grandmother was also a quilter, a weaver, and a painter. And Dwight, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but she married a colonel in the military uh, in the Air Force when she was in her 40s. Mm -hmm. And so he was a retired um, colonel uh, that was one of the original Acrojets. He told high tales, you know, uh, but basically him and my grandmother got to travel around the world and the military would take their Volkswagen bus and fly it anywhere they wanted to go. So they just traveled around the world. And I was always getting these gift boxes from them just filled with crazy textiles and objects and things. And so she had a definite artistic and creative streak that she she really got to dive into um, in, in her uh, retirement. And then my mother was incredible. I was born in Kansas City. We lived in Texas until I was five. We moved to Hannibal. Uh, my dad ran their lumber yard and got transferred there. And my mother just look, took a look at Hannibal and there wasn't as much art going on as there was in the small town in Texas we were coming from. And she got heavily involved in the, uh, in the art scene and the Folklife Festival that's still going on there today. She was a part of generating. Um, I grew up with Raku fire pits in the backyard, Ooh, cool. cyanotype workshops, you know, just even like polenta parties. She just was a constant sort of searcher and learner back in the day when it was not as easy to access the internet. And she would just read or hear about things and want to explore them deeply. And so I feel really really privileged that I kind of grew up in this environment of, of exploring. And even when I um, landed at the Art Institute, I had such a weird, diverse portfolio. I did a lot of cake decorating in the back of the hardware store, oh. I think, because my parents just wanted to get me out of the house and into a, a project. And uh, Still creative. Still creative. And so I, I did all these experimental, like basically floral watercolors with like cake icing and watercolor. And it was so greasy and weird. It had all these fly sheets on it. And the woman at the that was doing the portfolio reviews at the Art Institute was like, she's like pulling them off. And I'm explaining that I'm experimenting with materials and texture and dimensionality, all this stuff. And she gets to it and she's looking at it. And she's like, what is it? And I'm like, it's cake icing. And she just started <laughs> laughing. And she goes, this isn't a culinary school. And she's like, you're in, you're in, you're in. And um, and I chose the Kansas City Art Institute because of their foundations program. You know, it really was of all the schools that I was looking at from Pratt to Parsons to Chicago. All great schools. Absolutely. That really base exploration of materiality that the Art Institute offered. It was incredible. And I still have friends to this mm -hmm. day that I met from going to school at the Art Institute. Tell me about Italy. Oh, my first apartment ever. It was a program through Drake University mm -hmm. that the Art Institute mm -hmm. had. And so uh, I was my first apartment ever was in Florence, Italy with two girls from New York City. Pretty nice. One had already been there for a semester and had no desire to learn Italian. And the other one runs a gallery in New York City now. And just it was so incredible because we were so mm -hmm. young, poor, and naive. And I found out on the first day that I was there, uh, we were all in this beautiful old church for sort of a review of, of what to expect. And that's the first moment I realized there were no Italians in the school. <laughs> it was a school for Europeans and Americans. Oh. <laughs> and a lot of the Europeans do something called a gap year, where if they're going to go yeah. off to be a doctor or a lawyer, they just get to go play. Yeah. And 
I went with a very dear friend, Paul Sudsma from the Art Institute, and we both went to study and to learn. And our teachers just adored us because we <laughs> we were there working and we because we didn't have enough money to run away on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And so we were in studio working and I lived above an amazing Italian restaurant that we were too afraid to eat at because we're like, we can't afford this. And we met so many Italian men because they were so easy to meet and it was hard to meet Italian women. So we would just have these crazy dinner parties with all these fellow students and artists and just have them over and cook the freshest food. Mm-hmm. And it was fabulous. Sounds like such fun. Well, I can only imagine Italian food, art, you know, I think all young artists had um, definitely experienced something like that. Absolutely. I lived in New York for just under 10 years as well. Uh, There was a whole group of people from the Art Institute that were moving there. And I moved in the late 90s to Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and lived in an old Irish dance hall and had a studio in an old pencil factory in Greenpoint, um, where we built out our studio walls and just were really some of the groundbreakers for some of the spaces today that I just go back and fall over laughing because I'm like, that French restaurant used to be a nasty place where they changed tires, you know, and I know the history of that. And the thing I tell young people is like, you have to go and explore while you're young and tolerant, because at some point you will not want to have roommates Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, things will shift and things will change. But while you're young and tolerant and, you know, can have that sort of flexibility to really explore, um, I just always tell people, do it, do it, do it. But you were just dropping some gems. Let's rewind that because you were telling them how to build out a studio and stuff like that. You know, a lot of uh, these youngsters, they don't know that that's part of um, the path, you know. Well, and this was even further back in the day when, uh, you know, I like somehow I found the Italian dance hall Mm -hmm. and just this was all word of mouth because it was like old tear the flyer and and, you know, really (laughs) exploring. And I was exploring and I was meeting people they're like oh I can't find an apartment I'm like well did you leave the house and get off the couch because you had to go out and you uh the realtors there were also leasing agents so you'd go into a realtor's office and then they would take you around to places and coming from Missouri I remember seeing several things that I'm like okay there is uh you know, shag carpet on the ceiling in here and I can smell the mold and like, this would not be legal. And how much is this, you know? And I mean, it was crazy. And so I heard, uh, I somehow, I must've borrowed a bicycle from a friend and I'd heard that there was a pencil factory that was renting studio space. And I was riding around on the bicycle and I looked up and there were literally pencils as architectural details on the building. I think it was a five-story mm. building. And, oh my gosh. Uh, and somehow I found somebody and got in there. And like I said, I was on the, it was an amazing space. I was on the ground floor, a dear friend from the Kansas City Art Institute um, that I knew, uh, Larry Bob Phillips, who actually runs the Roswell Artists in Residency mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. helped me build the walls. And um, it just was a magical time. But the one thing I do want to share is what I was doing at that time to back up mm-hmm. even further mm-hmm was I was weaving scarves out of antique Japanese kimono fabrics. That's cool. There was a company based in Kansas City called Asiatica. Ah, wonderful. That I met my senior year of college. And they rarely ever do this at that time. They just celebrated their 45th anniversary. Um, So this would have been in the mid-90s. They dropped off scrap fabrics. Mm -hmm. And at the time... I was dyeing fabric and tearing fabric, sewing it together and weaving. And because of being a senior in textiles and having studied the history of textiles, this this would have been like 93. Okay. Okay. And so, uh, so I'm just looking at these beautiful scrap pieces of kimono fabric and I'm looking at it knowing that in a full kimono, there's 150,000 knots. Mm -hmm. And it Uh takes one person two and a half months to tie 150,000 knots. And there's this beautiful little shred of fabric that is made this way. And and so I'm collecting these scraps and I wind up um, weaving uh, scarves for the end of the semester sale. Mm -hmm. And they were all kind of random different sizes. um, And one of the owners of Asiatica bought one of them. She took it to the other owner and said, look, I got the best thing at the sale. And Elizabeth Wilson, who's who's still there running the yes. show, she looked and she was like, Fifi, that's our fabric. And she's <laughs> like, oh, no wonder I liked it. And, and <laughs> through, I would say that a lot of my life has been being at the right place 
and having conversations, meeting people and having opportunities arise just from where I was. Mm -hmm. So uh, my roommate at the time, she was working at Asiatica. She was leaving. I wound up going in to interview for a job and Fifi asked me, she's like, are you still making those scarves? And I lied through my teeth. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. I am <laughs> of making course those. I am. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can make those for you. And I left and I called my friend. I'm like, hey, Paul, I need to borrow your loom. And I was working for them, but I got busy making scarves for them out of their scat fabric. And so whenever I don't have one, I say they basically look like those rag woven potholders you made as a kid, but with fancy silk fabrics. Oh. And they're like better than having a puppy. If you're wearing one going down the street, like people are going to stop and talk to you you know, mm. in the most random situations. And at some point they just wanted more and more. And I said, I'm going to step over here and I'm going to keep making these for you and I'm not going to work for you anymore. And so at one point, right before I moved to New York, I had five different weavers working for me mm. um, wow. and I had an agent. And I What's that like? What, what What's that like? You had a staff, that's knowledge, share that knowledge. I learned a lot. And one of the biggest things I would say mm. I learned because I lost one of my best people that I ever trained mm -hmm. to Asiatica. Ooh. So I trained someone to work for me. And, and at some point, you know, she wanted to, to do something else and explore. Mm -hmm. And I found out basically after she was hired that she was going to go work for them after I had trained her. And at first I was really upset. I was like, oh man, I'm never going to get someone as good as her. That was such an amazing relationship. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was to have faith in myself mm -hmm. and that I could turn anyone with good hand-eye coordination I could teach them and train them how to mm -hmm. work for me and how to do what I needed with enough patience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I learned a lot of like, you know, you show someone how to do something and it looks really simple and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I can do it. I'm like, you're not really looking. Mm -hmm. And then they try it. And then, and then I'm like, you want to watch me again? Mm -hmm. And they watch with different eyes. Mm -hmm. And so really losing that, that first employee that I just loved so dearly and learning that it wasn't the end because I thought, oh, is yeah. this the end? What's going to happen? Isn't that great that you had you had this insight about yourself or you discovered this about yourself and then you can rely on yourself. Yes. And not only are you an artist, but you are um, an educator and you're a facilitator. Make things happen. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's wonderful. Yeah, I feel really lucky. So also at that time, because... Any Smith has got a lot of hustles going on. And so the other thing that I was doing was um, after I graduated from the Art Institute, I was also working for Jason Pollan, who was the chair of the fiber department for quite some time. Oh, yes. He does great work. And I got to have this amazing relationship where I became his studio assistant. Mm -hmm. And the dynamics of our relationship shifted from him being my professor who was teaching me to the two of us standing in his amazing studio that he's still in to this day, prolific. He's a He's, he makes artwork almost every single day of his life. It just was incredible to be around and to witness. It's inspiring. And he would stand there and be like, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I don't think it's done. Or I think it's upside down. Or mm -hmm. I think it goes like this. Or I think we should finish it like this. And he's like, I think you're right. And so to have this pivot at a really young age to someone that was a professor to all of a sudden listening to me yes. and valuing my opinion and there's a real amazing group of, of artists that have, have been, have moved through his studio space. Mm -hmm. And um, I still, I know the one that has been working there uh, recently and I just, I love her dearly. And um, it was another incredible experience to have my opinion and like everything valued at such a young age. It was really interesting. And at that same time, because I was his assistant, um, he was working with John O'Brien from the Dolphin. Oh, yeah. And I believe it was an American Century Commission that John O'Brien, I was, I was with him in the, in the gallery. They were talking about the commission. And I could tell the wheels in John's head turning that, that they weren't going to be able to afford a Jason Pollan because of the scale. It was like for a corporate entryway. Mm -hmm. And um, John just turned to me and he's like, what do you do? <laughs> and for a hot minute, I'm like, ooh, this guy's asking me to knock off my professor. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I can't do this. And that's not what he was asking. But that was my that was my first thought. It was like, oh, what's going on here? And at the time, I was um, doing sheer organza summer quilts um, made out of silk organza, translucent, sort of left with the skeletal memory of something once familiar. The weight oh, and the warmth was removed. And it was and so I wrote up this whole piece for for what I wanted to do. It needed to be pigment on polyester because it was going to be in a in a sunlit entryway. I knew I couldn't use silk. And um and it was going to be, I bet it was like 18, you know, by 22 feet or something. It was huge. Oh my goodness. And 
with confidence, I wrote this thing up and I took the word quilt out and I presented it. And he's like, and they, they're like, that sounds great. Do it. And so I would work at Asiatica at night mm -hmm. and move all the furniture around in the front because they let me use their space. Oh, and I'd move gosh. all the furniture around and I sewed this giant piece that I still look at it today. And I'm like, how did I do that? And, and it was just kind of not knowing that you couldn't mm -hmm. and just, isn't that great? Just, yeah, just make people proud that we're at, that people believed in me. Discovering yourself. Yeah. I know. Where's you know that what? piece at? They sold I'm, the, I'm gonna go steal it. They sold Where? the building. I definitely want to see it. Years later, like I've been with the dolphin since like 95, which is now Haw Contemporary. And so this, mm -hmm. this would have been around 97, 98 yeah. before I went to New York. And uh, at some point they sold the building and that piece got returned to me. Oh, you're and kidding. And so I, it's actually come back into my hands. And so right. um, you're going to have to put that up on your Instagram or something. It's back in the old school days of when you would do like the four by five slides, like of the images, you know, because we didn't have digital photography. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, that's old. School. It's so old school. And, there, and, and the funny thing about that is it was the photographer that shot it for me. It was down in the river market. There was a hole in the floor. The piece was so big. We shot it from the second floor to the first. Mm -hmm. And it was on a Sunday or something. And he was borrowing someone's mm -hmm. studio to document it. And when we were all done, I went to pick it up to walk across the room. And he goes, oh, my God, that's the picture. Because I was in it for scale all of a sudden. Because you couldn't really tell what size it was. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm out of film. Mm -hmm. So we didn't we didn't get the picture, which is hilarious. So oh, there's so many artists have tales mm -hmm. like that from back in the day. Gosh. Well, you know... It's interesting because that makes me wonder, how has your art evolved over time? And, mm. you know, how does the medium of fiber and textile allow you to sort of express yourself? Uh, can you enlighten us on that a little bit? Absolutely. So circling back around to New York. So I moved to New York because I, I, I went there with Asiatica and I went... I was, when I was done with work, I was walking through Soho and there was an amazing store that's now in, um, it, it was Comme de Garçon used to be in Soho. So oh, Comme de Garçon is a really beautiful high-end women's yes, clothing store that's is. on the West side. And at that time they were in Soho and they had, I remember looking up at these windows and there were these clear resin mannequins uh, that were suspended from the ceiling and they had these sheer organza dresses on with perfect French seams, which is a, a folded in seam and then raw edges. So it was this combination of absolute perfection and then this sort of tatteredness. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, just, I just looked at it and I was like, if this is here, I can make anything. And I came back and the gentleman that I was dating at the time, I told him, I said, I saw this amazing thing. It was so incredible. And of course, I was so naive that I thought if I walked out the door every day, I'd see something that incredible. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, uh, I just said, it was so incredible. I want to move to New York. And he was like, well, you better do it quick before you change your mind. And I was like, oh, OK, I think I need to leave you and I will move to New York. <laughs> and and I, I went and um and really had a beautiful adventure. But the thing that I learned is I was weaving scarves to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And so I was working really hard in my studio and people were coming to visit having a lot of fun because they got to like run around and play. And I'm like, I need to, I, I can play, but then I got to go work. Oh, and yeah. I had an art studio at my house and I would make the work and it was in a tiny space on a floor in another room. And then I'd show up to an opening and I'm like, I just, I couldn't see the work as I was making it. And I would, it was almost like an out-of-body experience to see the work um, uh, when I would show up. Cause I'm like, who made this? What's going on here? Mm -hmm. Because at that time I just was weaving so many scarves. And, and the amazing thing too, that almost the whole time I was in New York, um, I had an agent and was selling scarves across the country, mm -hmm. but most of my sales were through Asiatica hmm. and the dolphin. And by showing at the dolphin, um, I got a, a photography gallery. Um, um, I now show, the gallery I show it now is Catherine Markell, and it was Julie Saul oh. Gallery. Julie Saul just passed away, I believe, this past year. Oh. Um, she had an incredible photography gallery, and John O'Brien had an incredible relationship with her. She, she must have been in town visiting, and she bought a piece of mine. And she told me, she goes, this is my favorite piece of everything I own. Oh, and, and she wound up giving me a show 
and and representing me for several years. Mm -hmm. And for me as a textile artist to be in a celebrated photography studio was really incredible. And it was this beginning of this shift of, you know, because I came up in a time where recycled was a dirty word. That's basically what I was doing with my scarves, but I buried the word. You know, I, the name of that project was called Sakiori, which means leftover woven in Japanese. Hmm. And I, I sort of said a lot and barely, the word recycled was just buried in there because it was not a word that was celebrated at all at that time. Hmm. And then with my artwork, showing textiles also was not really celebrated at the time. That, that, that's, that, that is the uninitiated there. They were missing out. Absolutely. And, um, and Julie Saul just saw something and it just was having these incredible people. You know, I, I will never forget. Um, I had a two person show. I'm going to forget the other artist's name right now. Cause it was so many years ago. And we got to go to one of those fancy dinners afterwards at a great French restaurant. And the, cr the critic from the New York times was there and he was sitting next to me and he goes, your work is so incredible. I wish I could write about it, but I can only write about photography. And this is another thing. I was so young. And if I just, you know, if I'd been a little older, I'd been like, I would have been like, how can we make this happen? Who do we need to talk to? You know, I was still young and still learning and I'm sitting there I'm like, okay, you know, and it just, again, it was this incredible thing to hear, you know, and the first time any artist has their, you know, their show in New York, they think it's going to be this giant pivot that just cracks open the world, you know, and, and it isn't always, it is this thing that just kind of keeps moving. Hopefully you make connections and things keep moving mm -hmm. forward, but it isn't always this glamorous, like shot out of a cannon, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and part of me was okay with that because what I was going for was longevity. I wanted this to be something for That's the rest good. of my life that I could do. Yeah. And I had some people that wanted back in the day that wanted to take my scarves and weave them with other fabric. When they heard how much money I was getting for the scarves at, a ho at the wholesale price, they, they weren't thinking that it takes four to five hours to make one of these scarves uh, because of the labor involved. Yeah. Weaving being the fastest part, but the labor of everything else of the setup, you know, and, and uh, they just would hear the numbers and they're like, oh, you know, can we can do this, but can we use polyester instead? I'm like, no, we cannot. <laughs> Because it, it is, you know, there's the quality to the fabrics that I use that have a vibration that I'm attracted to. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what draws me in. And I know it's what draws others in that see it. So, Well, how do you find your inspiration when you're going to create a piece of artwork now? You know, your art has evolved uh, and is a little different than the scarf making. And I'm wondering Absolutely. what you draw upon or what, um, what you encounter that inspires you. Or is there... Is there um, a message you wish to convey with your textile art, which has, again, a very abstract appearance to it um, and a tremendous beauty? Um, or is it just the sheer beauty of something, the way you've arranged it, and that is what's behind it? It's, it's a combination, and it's one of those things that can get really hairy because you start dropping the art words, you know, of like intuitive line. And, and there's just so many things that artists say that you're like, oh, you're killing me, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, because it's like it's every it is a personal journey. It yeah. is a personal exploration. And sometimes it is what it is. And I quite often feel that my work is similar to painting and poetry, you know, and so oh. I never felt boxed into this. A quilter would not call me a quilter. They wouldn't like, you know, some, some quilters adore me and we have great conversations and I learn so much when I hang out with quilters, but technically I'm not using three layers of fabric. You know, I'm primarily using two layers of fabric and I'm not, I'm not sewing through those layers. And so there's all these technical rules that kick you in or in out of certain, yeah. certain places. But I did hear Warren Rosser speak once um, at a show that he had at Hall Contemporary and and I, and I realized that I was doing the same thing. And in his paintings, he spoke about trying to, trying to have this element of air in the abstract extraction that he was making. And it is this thing that's very individual for every artist that's doing it. And I tend to love the pieces of mine that have this quality of movement and still has, has this thing that I call air. It's almost like a vibrational, vibrational resting spot, mm -hmm. you know? And, and the problem is now that I feel like the world is so chaotic there's so much going on and um, I feel like a lot of things are, have, are sort of upside down and I'm having a, a kind of a crisis moment in my studio where I'm mad at the world mm. and I'm having a very hard time creating because up until this point in my life, 
I don't like to create artwork when I'm angry Mm -hmm. or mad or sad, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I just, I like to have a more positive vibration in it. And um, the thing that's going on is that the way that I make my money is by making physical objects. Mm -hmm. Every dollar that I make is connected to me making a physical object. And so I have found myself during this time of loss uh, of losing a dear friend to COVID, um, you know, just the political climate, sort of everything that I am agitated beyond belief. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding myself in a, in a spot where I still have to make, you know, and at first I was, I was kind of lucky because um, I'm very lucky that I have four galleries. I have a gallery in New York, um, and Catherine Markell Gallery in New York. I have a gallery in uh, Iowa, Olson Larson Gallery. I have a gallery in Florida, um, Method and Concepts. And I have a gallery here in Kansas City, Hall Contemporary. And That's I was great. lucky that uh, because of that diversity and having, you know, more than one place that I had some commissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my New York gallery will quite often get people going, can you make something that looks like this, but in a different size? Or <laughs> yeah. And normally I hate that because you're trying to reverse engineer spontaneity. And I learned early on, I'm like, ooh, I can't do that. That's hard. Yeah. You know, my joke is that if they want one piece, I make three pieces. I make one that is trying to hit what they're asking. And then I make two more that are what I want to be doing, oh, you know, and cool. I, I sort of over deliver so they have an option and they can choose. Yeah. And so I was lucky to have some commissions to work on in this time that I was jammed up. But those are sort of going away. And I'm, I'm left in this place yeah. of slight chaos of trying to create. When- De- Deborah, I got, I got two things for you. I love your description of air, you know, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking with um, artists or other collectors, I, I call it, I'm looking for the universe, but their universe or the universe that you're trying to create. But I like that air. I like that, that kind of analogy with um, your space or, or that energy Absolutely. that you're, that you're conveying through your visuals. So um, yeah, I, I like that. Now, you know, you were dropping some names, some gallery names. So I got to hit you up with the, um, with the collector question, what's the craziest thing a collector said to you? Like you said, you kind of alluded to it when they say, can you do this? Oh, yeah. You know, what's the craziest thing a collector has said about some of your work? I think one of my favorites, I'll never forget, one of, at my first solo show at my gallery in Iowa, um, I'm so happy. It, whenever I really encourage artists, when they're, ha- when they're in a show out of state, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people won't travel and they won't go. And, if, and I had a, a dear friend and we road tripped there for the opening. And I'm so happy I did because I had so many people that night, that night, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, are you looking at Pojagi? Are you, you know, they'll say, are you looking at this? A, a guy saying, are you looking at Japanese maps? And I'm like, I do not know what you're talking about. No, I am not. You know, and, and, I'll, and I, there was a very large piece there that was probably six feet by three feet. And this guy's like, and it was a horizontal and this is, this is probably, I probably should be telling the story, but he's like, he's, uh, he's like, if I buy this, can I hang it uh, vertically in my stairwell? And I was like, if the check clears, I'll help you hang it on the ceiling. <laughs> because <laughs> if you buy this piece, it means I get to keep making artwork, you know, and, and uh, that, that's a good way to look at absolutely. it. Yeah. You know, and there's, and we want people to be caretakers and uh, caretakers and mm-hmm. stewards of our work. Um, and I, and I, you know, I've, I've heard stories about painters that never want to sell anything because they're just so attached mm-hmm. to their work. But for oh, me, yeah. it's always been something, it's been a way that I get to, to um, continue making. And so I'm very yeah. appreciative of every sale, large and small. And, and so it's, it is sort of the sentiment of like, if you buy this, I get to keep working. So what, what yeah. are you going to do? You know? And that would be hard, you know, when you, when you feel down or you just don't have that great energy that you like to have when you when you create a piece of art and I'm sure other artists can relate to that and and all of us actually even us non-artists can relate to that and it's very difficult to push yourself and keep moving forward when you just don't feel I still feel like we're crawling out of COVID you know and I feel like just this summer and the last few months I've started attending more lectures in person and going to arts events in person. And I know Dwight, you were, I saw that you posted and we're at the um, wholesome studios at this weekend. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I went on Friday, I Hanging went out. on Friday night and it was amazing. It was, there were people in there. Yes, it's good energy. It was such good energy coming out. It of was it. such good energy, incredible work being made. And I, I had some really incredible conversations and I, I saw one, young artists that I haven't seen forever. And, um, and 
she, I was in her studio and, and we kind of had this quiet moment to ourselves and, and mm-hmm. she, you know, she kind of asked how I was doing. And I said, I am having a horrible time. I am not enjoying making. And she took the deepest breath and just said, me too. And, and I could oh, just yeah. tell there was this really beautiful moment of connection mm-hmm. where I was honest about where I was coming from. And I know that she's younger than me and I might be someone that she looks up to or whatever or thinks that, you know, Instagram, everything's great, da, da, da. And it, it isn't, you know, and it is rough out there. And, uh, um, and it was just really lovely to share that moment of recognition of like, mm-hmm. it's not always easy and there's a lot of work here. Um, and then I moved into another studio and had an incredible conversation. Um, Beverly Hearn has a small studio space and she's inherited all of her great grandmother's textiles. And we had an incredible conversation about trying to reverse engineer spontaneity. And I'm like, girl, quit doing it. Hey. Yeah, y- y'all doing y'all doing that doctoral level oh. of of just mentorship over there. That's just, I mean, between the young folks and, and there's a lot of good energy up in there right now. Uh, Lord Nugent, I, I was over there. I, I just saw like a a different vibe from what she had at the other spot. So yeah, I was I, Gary. Oh, <laughs> Gary Nolan. Gary, Gary. Yes. shout out to Gary for um, yeah. holding that and bringing and and and, and getting folks together. Um, you know, you're mentioning some talented people. The, hey, in the absence of the drugstore, you know, you know, the 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 nexus shifts, you know, and now and then just imagine, I, I wish I could have been there for you having that talk, you know, talking, you know, with the youngster. Absolutely. Or, you know, talking just with your peer. Round I mean, that, the, that's 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 when also having my phone in my pocket and, you know, learning that. Mm-hmm you know, uh, Hey Young is in there now and, and talking to somebody yes. that was so excited. Yeah. She was there and I'm like, said, and no, I'm like, you awesome ain't no joke. No, and, I said, Studios and I was like, fire. I was like, you would not believe her show at Studios Inc. You know, her and I were at Studios Inc. Mm-hmm. at the same time. And I pulled out my phone and I, mm-hmm. I've learned how to search through my 90,000 photos. If I put in a street or something, I can narrow it down. Mm-hmm. And I pulled up her exhibition photos from her show at Studios Inc. And I was showing, sharing them with another artist and, mm-hmm. you know, blown away. So there are some just wow. incredible mm-hmm. mix Susan. of people. Susan White over the boom. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was in a Susan studio for a minute. I'm gonna have to um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get a piece over here. You might have to be, I'm gonna have to talk with Susan. Absolutely. But yeah, it's some some great folks over there. I I really love how you you know embed yourself in the community with other artists. That that's so that's so cool. A lot of um artists don't take the time to do that. So so shout out for for being in the community, being in the fight, and you know and and, and sharing your knowledge and insight on these young Padawans who are coming out and doing it. I just love always, if I ever have a show up, I'm like anybody that wants to bring their class, I have them bring me. And my favorite Mm -hmm. thing is to say is you guys need to be nice to each other. Ah, yeah. You need Mm -hmm. to be nice to each other. You, the the quiet person in the corner, you do not know what anybody is going to be doing 20 years from now. And like, these Mm -hmm. are your Mm -hmm. people. These are your friends and they're going to have your back. I mean, there are people that I went to school with that had moved to New York before me and and we hooked up again and circled back around. And because we'd gone to the Art Institute, there was almost a shorthand to getting to know each other. And, you know, just yeah. dear friends that have involved each other in mutual projects or just introduced each other to um, other opportunities. And um, it just really is, uh, I just laugh because I, I believe the class behind us at the Art Institute was getting along so poorly that they had to um, bring in a therapist to, try and negotiate oh, how for them to get along and if i say that when i'm talking to the current <laughs> students today they just start laugh they laugh and kind of look at each other like yeah we know and i'm like get it together get it together and be right. nice it's it is really some good advice you know being an artist it's about community like on all ends and 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 not only the makers but the people that support us and from working at asiatica back in the day i met incredible people Stephen, mary and mcdowell from bnim Oh, they're wonderful. I met them because they came into Asiatica to buy a scarf. They were interested just as Dwight is just always full of energy. I mean, Steve is just oh, yes. always yes. digging in and, and just talking to everybody. And so when I would show up, you know, if I was like catering a fancy event or helping with a party, you know, at some schwanky place, I never felt, you know, I always felt seen by them. You know, I wasn't this like mm-hmm. ghost in the room. Um uh, and it was incredible. And so I feel really, I, I, I got to do the collector move on you real quick. You know, I got a piece from you 
that that, that I absolutely love. Um, I have it upstairs. It's on a really strong wall too. You're in great company. Matter of fact, you, if you saw my Instagram post, you, you saw the company absolutely. you're in. And um, that piece, I remember when I got it. I mean, I remember watching you source the material, and I was I was I was amazed at the creation. And when I saw it in real life. You know, I felt that air, and that's why I'm so glad that you used that word, air, because I felt that, and I was like, okay, this has got to come home. Because I had picked out a different piece until I had saw that one. And then sometimes, you know, and it was actually a little bigger one, because I wanted to, if there was one, it was a big orange one that went away, it went to New York. So the one that got away. But this one, it hit me really different, and I had to, I had to, I had to grab it. So um, I feel your air, and I feel your air every day. So, um, um Thank you for sharing that energy with me and allowing me to be able to have that, you know, and then hearing it from you, hearing you explain it, you know, in the, in this setting makes it, makes me as a collector understand the work and appreciate it even more. So, so thank you for taking the time to explain it. Cause you know, I, now I can talk even more when I'm taking people on the tour. Now I can be like, Hey, guess what? You know, this, this is the air, you know, I just found out recently that, um, at the Charlotte street party, an incredible, uh, and a fellow artist, uh, when we were dancing and she's like, I bought a piece of yours. I bought a piece of yours. And because we're standing in Kansas city, I assumed it was something from Hall contemporary. And I, and she kind of told me the title and I, I kind of give vague titles to my pieces because I want to hold space for people to, to, I don't want people to overthink it. I don't want to, I don't want to hammer in something I'm saying. So I like to hold space for there to be this sort of space for the viewer as well as me and 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 i'll i'll give more explanation sometimes to things but I, I just like there to be a lot of space um and it turns out she bought it from my new york gallery and and it is a very large significant piece that is connected to um the time that I lost my friend to COVID. And it was oh. like the last time that I was work, making work that I loved. Yeah. And, and to just, I just opened my email and I got this message from my New York gallery and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this piece is, and she said the night at the party, she goes, I don't know where I'm going to put it. It's so big. And I just had no idea what she was talking about. And she goes, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I just love that this piece is coming back to Kansas city and it's so touching. That must feel mm. wonderful. It really, it really is. And talking about artists needing to pivot and sort of figure things out and always being able to know what's going on. So something that I was working toward, I just had made 14 pieces for uh, my gallery in Naples, Florida. And the oh. show was supposed to open on November 19th. And luckily I was running a little late and that work would have been arriving in the middle of the hurricane. And so now oh. that gallery is in the middle of the arts district and they've got some, some remediation to do and they're it's going to get postponed it's going to it's going to go back and they're yeah. they've got a great um collector base and people that love them and and they're 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 confident about rebuilding and everything but it was just this like moment of like oh my gosh this this is this is shifting and uh the title from that series is also sort of me still processing the loss of my friend and the title of the series that i was sending and sort of in my mind the title for the show was I was not expecting this. Oh, and that's I was poetic. Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is, and I, I was like, I, I, oh, just the strength of words and nature yeah. and mm -hmm. everything. I was like, and, I, and that was an opening that I, I probably wasn't going to go to because mm. of the distance mm. and, yeah. and, you know, just whatever. Mm. And, and knowing what happened, oh, you know, gosh, and, yes. and, and their strength and wanting to rebuild, I'm like, you know, when and if this opening happens, I'm like, I want to go because I want to yeah. stand in that room and talk about resilience, you know, oh, and just um, it really it it was when I realized I was like, oh, oh, boy, <laughs> it just yeah. was. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Well, in taking such a disappointment and turning it into something that's going to be great in the future, that's that's um, another form of pivoting that artists have to do that uh, many of us don't realize. Absolutely. I have a quick question on your on your practice. So, you know, amongst the family, people have started, you know, randomly pulling pieces that they like to like their house or so, you know, so my sister grabbed that medium size. You remember the medium size red one I got? The red and you? white. Like, you know, red and white one. She yeah. was like, that's mine. 
She like I was like it was like it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a discussion. She's like walked in. That's mine. Christmas present. So my mom like gravitated to the two little ones. And then, you know, and I had to hold on. I was like, hey, this is mine. This is mine. So I kept Absolutely. you know the, the one I got from your show with the works from Japan. But it's really interesting to see because for me, they all speak a little different language. Absolutely. You know, they, they have different air, but I, I can see you in all three of them. Whereas like my sister, like she'll come upstairs and she'll be like, no, nah, that one, I like, it's okay. But boom, she's on the, the red one. So I'll bring her by because she wants to see some Absolutely. of your stuff anyway. The incredible thing about her piece, her piece. Mm-hmm. So when I started out, a lot of my work looked like the piece she has. Because okay. her piece is made out of the antique Japanese kimono lining that is yeah, too that, thin. It's mm-hmm. too thin for Asiatica to use to make a garment. And so at the time mm. that I was working there, they were they were they couldn't use it and so they were disregarding it. And I was collecting it. It almost looks like parchment paper. It's so thin. Absolutely. It's so beautiful. And for our listeners, it's like acid red and cream. Mm-hmm. And the acid yes. red would be the the judges and the magistrates and these, you know, the mm-hmm. men and political leaders with these like strong, bold black kimono that would mm-hmm. have this acid red lining that would mm-hmm. just flash as they walked, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, the cream was really common through the 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's this beautiful woven silk fabric. And it has what I call like the vibration of the mm-hmm, maker mm-hmm. in yeah. that fabric. And and there's just this quality to it that is different than contemporary commercial textiles. They, they almost look like crumbs. I was, Absolutely. if you, I stand there looking at that piece sometimes when I'm at her, cause she has it in a good spot. She's got some great light on it. And I'll just kind of look at it. And it you, you snuck texture in there in ways that, you know, I, I was not expecting with fiber. You know, it's yes. like you can kind of get that kind of vibe and refraction from other materials. But to do that with, um, you know, how you did that, that's that, that's hot. That's hot. Yeah. And then your piece is it comes in this time like th- there's. Well, that's the abstract. I love I love that. I love that. Yours has some contemporary uh when I lived in New York City, I'd go to the garment mm-hmm. district and mm-hmm. it's got some vintage Belgian Thai fabric in it. That hot acid yellow oh, cool. is like Belgian mm-hmm. Thai, dead stock fabric on the roll, never been used. Um, and then I, when I, I, about 12 years ago, I got to go, I was selected to be an artist and resident at the uh, Roswell Artist and Residency Program mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's just celebrated its 51st year where five artists from around the world are invited to come and they're gifted a studio that is attached to a furnished house and oh they get God. a stip- they How get fantastic. a material stipend i believe it's up to $1000 a month to be there wow. so it is this this year where you get to dedicate and focus and up to that time of when i went i was still weaving scarves and making art you know having more mm-hmm. galleries and trying to make more art but still needing to weave the scarves. And I knew, I'm like, I do not want to wave, weave one bloody scarf the whole time I'm here. And mm-hmm. so I kind of had a fundraiser uh, before I went that I say kind of, because I used to have, I used to have these things that I would call bake sales where mm-hmm. I, because I make the scarves, which are a functional object. And I also make these small flower pins that are between $15, $25 out of the scrap of the scrap. So I've got that. The scarves are like $250, and then the artwork goes up from there up into th- thousands of dollars. So when you want support and you're asking of support from the community, you've got to have something that those that love you can potentially... You can't mm-hmm. sit there and be mad as an artist going, why is anybody supporting me when everything you have is $1,000? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. can you pay your friend $1,000? You know, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. So I had caught on to sort of that angle of things. Um and I, I got a chunk of chains together by having this sale. Everybody take notes on that one. <laughs> oh, I, I will talk at nauseum about, about it because I did about three. Because there was a point in my life where I didn't have credit cards. And if I, I had what I called a Hong Kong bake sale where I wanted to go visit a friend in Hong Kong. And I'm like, if you don't raise the money, you, were hustling. you don't get to go. You was hustling. I was hustling. You, you I was absolutely hustling. Making it happen. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, and then I had the – and I and – You were moving. I was moving. I was moving. And I also got to go to a private kimono sale in Las Vegas before I uh, went to this residency. Um, Mm -hmm. 
because of a show that I had at the Dolphin in the Crossroads. Um, oh, Denise Schmidt is an amazing quilter that was invited uh, to speak at Hallmark. And she is like the, like a quilter. She, she is a quilter that sort of invented like one drunk night in a log cabin where she took you know, uh, a, a traditional pattern and kind of jacked it up and was at the time she was on the cover of Martha Stewart. She was everywhere. She had done uh, a series of quilts for Taka Shamaya, which is an amazing Japanese department store. I loved that store. So she did a beautiful set of quilts for them that I actually saw when I was in New York. And so she was in Hallmark giving a lecture and everyone kept going, have you been, have you been, have you seen this girl's show? Have you seen this girl's show? And I just happened to be in the gallery sewing a piece into a frame for another uh, client. And she came in and we started talking. And the longer I looked at her, I'm like, I know who you are. I'm like, you're one of my heroes because she was making a living from sewing, you know, and she was getting written up everywhere and it was incredible. And she looked at me and she's like, well, now you're one of mine because I couldn't have a show in a space like this to save my life, you know? And we just had this incredible conversation, absolutely connected. And she gave me her business card. And about two weeks later, she's like, Hey, I got invited to this, this private kimono sale. I'm not going to go. You should go. So I, I get on the computer and I email these people and I'm like, Hey, um, I do this thing. And I do this thing. I have two separate things that I'm doing with vintage textiles. Only 15 people were invite, being invited to this sale. A, a artist take notes. That's called the hookup right there. That's it was the, the hookup. hookup. And this person that uh, trades kimono was setting up the sale for this German couple that lived in Hawaii back in the day where you could buy these bales of kimono that compressed bales mm-hmm. because everybody wore it, you know, and they didn't want their sisters, their mothers, their cousins. They wanted new mm-hmm. and they were just compressing bales of, of fabric and shipping it anywhere around the world. And this, this woman only wanted the obi. So she was selling the kimono. And when I arrived there, you know, it, it, that there could be stories about this that go on forever. But mm-hmm. basically, there was an iron <laughs> price and a wrinkled price. And because I'd worked at Asiatica, I knew what I was looking at. And I got to buy close to 200 kimono. So all wow. of a sudden, I've got, I've got the outer fabrics, this color palette to work with. Mm-hmm. And when I showed up to Roswell... I, I got to play. Mm-hmm. And when you have a residency there, you you have an opportunity to have a show at a museum in town. Uh, and somehow there were some scheduling issues. And so mine was at six months instead of at the end. So I kind of had to hustle, get that show done. But then I got to really play and do whatever I wanted for that second six months. And I'll never forget a dear friend, um, Larry Bob, coming in and going, it looks like the circus threw up in here. Because there all of a sudden was this explosion of the importance of residency absolutely and drop a word on that real quick to these youngsters tell them how important these are it was such an incredible experience you know i was just talking to harold because he's getting ready to go uh to the mcdowell colony harold smith yeah that is correct and he was asking me and i said okay here's the deal be present i remember when i was in roswell we would all sort of sneak into each other's studios and just see the caliber of other artists that were mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And we would all of a sudden have imposter syndrome of like, oh, are they going to kick me out? How am I here? What's going on? And, and, uh, and it's like, no, everyone is, you know, everyone that gets everywhere that they are is magical. And, and there's mm-hmm. something to learn from everybody. And I just was like, go to dinner. You know, they make dinner for you. Go to dinner and have those conversations. Because again, these people that you're meeting they they potentially could be friends that you're going to have for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, so so plugging in and getting engaged um, and having a good experience by just going with an open heart and an open mind. It's a learning experience. So so um, really artists, is. you heard it from Deborah. Get your residency on. Get out there. Meet people. Do things. I just had some dear friends that I visited at the. There's a store in uh, Alma, Kansas, at the Volen store. And they've, uh, Patty Reese, Patty and Jerry Reese have started, um, a be- they have a beautiful art space um, about an hour and a half from Kansas City in the Flint Hills. They just were running their pilot program on the residency and they were asking artists that had shown there if there was anybody they would recommend. And because of my relationships of some people that I met in Roswell, I'm like, there is this, there are two photographers that I met um, in Roswell that, that are originally from Maine and they love the poetry and the landscape of the quality of light in Roswell. And there's a beauty there that exists also in the Flint Hills. And I think they'd be perfect. And um, 
Tony and uh, Shoshana White um, came and just had an amazing experience, you know, and and really helped run through the, their pilot program. So that's going to be another one to watch for sure, the Holland Store. Deborah, for some of the younger artists who might be listening or aspiring artists, how can they find out about potential residencies? There's so many platforms with the internet these days. Um, there's there's a, another source that I love um, called Artwork Archive that I'm a part of that's um, basically, you know, I don't know what you're using to uh, catalog your work that you're collecting, Dwight, but it's it's an interesting program to digitally archive the way I found out about it is when the founder of the residency in Roswell passed away, they were trying to archive his collection and they used this program called Artwork Archive. And I've started using it. It's an incredible program um, that... Uh, Artwork Archive. Artwork Archive. And they, on their Instagram, they're always given shout outs for different residencies and opportunities for artists. Oh, that's great. I know there's links on the Charlotte Street is always, you know, mm-hmm. not just local, but you know, regional and national and international. And so younger kids probably already know where everything is because they're just Mm. on their phones and on their computers digging around. But I definitely um, was noodling around on Artwork Archives um, Instagram the other day and just impressed with how they break it down because there's there's some other sources that kind of give you the big list once a month. And by the time you get around to looking at it, you've missed half the deadlines. And Artwork Archive kind of dishes it out with shorter, smaller chunks where you're maybe looking at 10 that are due in the next two weeks. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice system. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm about to do some name dropping real quick. So right now, you know, as a collector, and I, I think I'm, I'm a little avant-garde with my, with my game. So, you know, you, Deborah Smith, out of Kansas City, then we got Basil Kincaid in, in St. Louis. Yes, very talented. Um, we got Sonny coming back here. Yes. We got Spotted Cloud representing you know, uh, you know, the Kansas area, um, who else, who else is on the fiber tip? Cause you know, fiber is in, just in this region, you know, I'm going to say, you know, I count, you know, St. Louis and Missouri. So got to count the whole state, you know, we got some fire, fire people coming out right now. And, um, you're part of that tribe. So absolutely. in the wholesome gallery on Gary's floor, I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw it above the piano, did you see the giant painting that was sewn together and it was sort of like a surveillance image? It's Jackson Dougherty. Oh yeah, Jackson. Jackson's stuff is pure fire. I saw. I love I was it. In the, um, when I went through the um, studio, oh man, I like the little. It's kind of pixelated. It's like the cross between Minecraft and crappy surveillance camera. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's taking like old HP printers and like I'm talking like injecting them with needles. And he's running yeah. like eight yeah. by ten sheets of uh canvas through it mm. and then stitching them together to create it. Don't get no more sustainable than no. this, folks. I mean that printer is on his like 14th life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, bro. I said, I'll give you a couple bucks and get you a printer. Go ahead and make this. He's like, no, I need this beat up thing right here. This is my golden egg. He is filling it with archival inks. Oh, printing off. that is cool. And the thing that was hilarious is that I, Beverly brought me into his space and mm-hmm. we were talking to him and there were some other people in there. And mm-hmm. uh, and when he heard my name and he's like, wait, what's your name? And he's and he's like, I know who you are. You know, and he and he just oh, was like, the OG you're the fiber OG mm-hmm. and it just was hilarious that's um, cool that's cool yeah. I mean it's hot y'all are doing some fantastic stuff you know you're part of that school I mean folks are, are looking at looking looking to you to learn but you are also setting trends you know because I mean like I said that piece you got upstairs I got some air absolutely you know, those are the airs <laughs> you know so you know I'm really proud of of what you're doing in the fiber community and in the art community, Deborah, your resilience and and your and your professionalism is is always appreciated. And I just love that you're a great art person in the community. Absolutely. So, so well, I keep doing that good stuff. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast, and I just um, I want to give one quick shout out to another project I'm working on. Um, yeah. uh, and I I just listened last week to your. Uh, podcast with Lee Smalter of Smalter Gallery. Yes. And her, her and I fantastic. are both on the board of the Kansas City Volunteer Lawyers and Accountants for the Arts. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the president of that, uh, Suzanne Evans, is my neighbor. And, sh- and it's 
this incredible uh, resource for artists in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And it, and she asked me to come on board because they want to have artists, you know, on the, the board as well as the accountants and the uh, attorneys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took one look at their website, which, you know, they don't, they're accomplishing a lot on a very little budget. And it's not one of those glamorous, you know, glittery like things that's out there. It's, it's a, it's a uh, foundation need for artists. And I took one look at their website and I'm like, oh man, no one, this is 15 years old. You know, there's an 11 minute video on here. No one's going to look at this. And and the people in the video don't even look like this anymore because it's so old, you know? And so I'm like, and so they're like, I would like my project to be to help you redo this website. And of course, me not being a computer person, I'm like, this was a little bit out of my scope. And we kind of tried to go a few directions. Ambitious. It was ambitious. And, and it's a lot of money to do that. And yeah. so I'm so mm-hmm. happy to, um, to share that we've uh, partnered with the Sponsored Studio Project at the Kansas City Art Institute. And um, mm-hmm. Randy Williams is helping navigate and run that project. And Igar Zhang, uh, a visiting professor in graphic design, their students are helping us redo this website. Um, And it's, it's, it's a project that the class is doing. So we've gone in twice so far, we went in Mm -hmm. and presented like who we are and what our needs are, and and how we serve the community and how that information can get out into the community. And especially coming off the heels of COVID and losing a very dear friend of mine. Um, When I say that I lost my friend Brinkman Randall to someone in Kansas City, the shorthand way that I can say to anyone in Kansas City of who he was, he was from Roswell, New Mexico. Um, Charlotte Street, it's got this connection to John Puchek, who lived on Charlotte Street. And, you know, there's there's a lot of myth and reality around the, the beauty of what this was. But it was this, you know, this this home in this place of like food, art um, and, and uh, uh, just everyone getting together and just sort of loving and learning. And mm-hmm. that's Brinkman, communal. The, the communal mm-hmm. aspect of, of everything. And that was Brinkman Randall in Roswell. So he was that equivalent in Roswell, New Mexico. And he was wow. 65 when he died and um, he mm-hmm. never married and had no kids. And when he got COVID, his niece couldn't even find out anything going on about when he was being let out, whatever was going on. And I got real busy because I knew the former mayor in town. I, I had all these connections and I it was like, I was looking at a map from Kansas City of who we needed to talk to to help get him the help that he needed. And we had to get some legal things in place really quickly. And this is something mm. that I want for all of the artists in the community in Kansas City. I want us to get our website together to get that information out that this service is available for artists that are having art related Um, needs for lawyers or accountants. Mm -hmm. We're not helping people with their divorce or, you know, parking tickets Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But if there's something that is connected to your art practice that you're needing um, information on, you know, they, they, they go out into the community and they have, um, uh, I think the last Thursday of every month, you can sign up for a 15 minute, um, you know, chat with a lawyer or accountant about your issue and get some advice. Um, it goes up from there. And so it is this what a great resource, incredible mm-hmm. resource that not enough artists know about. So once we get everything lined up, I want to hit the ground running and really get out into the community more and sort of start getting, helping us get our ducks in a row. Deborah, you are a beacon in the community. Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, as you, as we wrap up a little bit, um, how can people find out more about you and about your art? What should they do? They well, I've got. I guess the easiest way these days is Instagram, and I am uh, Deborah Marlene Smith on Instagram, and that's D E B R A Marlene M as in Mary uh, A R L E E N Smith, um, and then Deborah M Smith uh, is my website. So Deborah Marlene Smith is your Instagram. And your website, DeborahMSmith.com. Dot com. And I've got um, a studio with about five other artists um, in the West Bottoms um, above Hammer Press and in Kansas City, in Kansas City Missouri. And um, it's not open to the public per se, but if there's anything from artist residencies to um, just anything that somebody wants to, to get together and talk about, I love just sharing as much information as I have um, to just help make things a positive experience for others. And um, so I'm always willing, uh, you know, just shoot me a a message and 
I'll do my best to sort of help in any way. That's so wonderful. And you're um, sharing your experiences with us today and your insights mm -hmm. were, were so valuable to artists, but just people in general. We can all kind of relate. So thank Absolutely. you so, so much for Absolutely. being here. Absolutely. It was so lovely. Just anything that I've done that others can learn from, I just love to share the information for sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, Deborah Smith, thank you for being here. And that is another episode of Art Moves. Art Moves in the house. That's right. If you're listening, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, to our podcast on all the platforms that are out there. And check us out on IG. That's right. You know, Art Moves on IG. We doing stuff. That's right. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Thank you, guys. You bet. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Art Moves, the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe through your favorite podcast platform or the website. You can find links for this and the video show at linktree slash artmoves. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash A-R-T-M-O-V-E-S. And thanks. <laughs>